One of the things that makes it tricky is that everybody loves a people pleaser up until a point. Because if there is somebody in an organization, in a family, their goal is to make sure that everything runs smoothly. If you're on the receiving end of people-pleasing up to a point, it feels pretty good. So we like a people-pleaser, so you get a lot of reinforcement for it. Welcome to Flusterclucks with Lynn Lyons, where we talk about how to manage those tricky emotions that show up in all families. Serious stuff without being too serious. I'm your co-host, Robin, and I'm Lynn's sister-in-law, and I'm here to ask your questions. And I'm Lynn Lyons. I'm an anxiety expert, speaker, mom, and author, and I've been a therapist for over 30 years. Parenting can be a Flusterclucks, and I'm here to help you find your way. And I'll even tell you what to do and what to say. So, Lynn, you want to talk about people-pleasing today and people-pleasers. Mm-hmm. What is a clinician's definition of a people-pleaser? Well, pretty much that you try and figure out what you have to do, what you have to say, what you don't have to do, what you shouldn't say in order to make sure that the people around you are happy, in air quotes, happy, that they are not angry with you. And sometimes it's more than one person, right? So if you're in a family and you're the people pleaser in the family, you're trying to juggle everybody else's needs to make sure that people like you, that people aren't angry with you. Or you're navigating through the world to make sure that you avoid other people's negative emotions. Correct. Because those are those feel intolerable. They feel intolerable. And then you also feel overly responsible for other people's negative emotions. So if you are dealing with somebody who gets angry with you, if you're a people pleaser, you're trying to figure out how you were responsible for that and how you aren't going to do that again, because it feels so uncomfortable for you when somebody else has emotions either towards you or even just in general. That's the other thing too. Say somebody's just angry. Say somebody's just cranky. Say somebody's depressed. You take it on as your responsibility to pull them out of that state whether it's directly or a response to something you've done, or it's just their general demeanor. Can we go meta for a second? Sure. Okay. So on this meta level, listeners who have been listening for a while and have really understood how anxiety is this big umbrella term for at one level, how do you manage uncertainty and the uncomfortable? It sounds like Being a people pleaser is a pattern driven by the anxiety of negative emotions in others. And you just adopt this as your persona. Yep. So let's go back. So if you're an adult, if you're listening to this and you're like, oh, I'm totally a people pleaser. One of the things that makes it tricky is that everybody loves a people pleaser up until a point. Mm -hmm. Right. Because if there is somebody in an organization, in a family, Their goal is to make sure that everything runs smoothly. If you're on the receiving end of people-pleasing up to a point, it feels pretty good. So we like a people-pleaser, so you get a lot of reinforcement for it. And the other thing about being a people-pleaser is that if it comes from childhood so that you are responsible for your parents' emotions or you are trying to protect yourself from criticism, from chaos, from abuse, it really serves a purpose for you. So a lot of these patterns that we talk about have their genesis in a place where it was really necessary, it was really important, and it was really 
reinforced and rewarded. Right. We've said this in other episodes. We've also talked about how patterns driven by anxiety that can make you very successful as an adult professionally, for example, you know, we talk about the example of a surgeon. Well, that surgeon, you kind of want a perfectionistic surgeon who gets it right. Right. You want someone who's driven kind of endlessly for that perfection, but then that surgeon might be kind of tougher to live with. So that people pleaser is also someone who navigates through the world with maybe good management or employee attitudes, like this person gets a lot of good feedback. But again, it may not be the best skill set at home, something that's externally rewarded in our culture, but it actually can inhibit the quality of our personal relationships. Right. Your example is a good one because a lot of the patterns that we talk about and a lot of the patterns that really impact your relationships If you're doing them out in the world in certain contexts, they're absolutely fine. If you talk about the perfectionist, right? If you talk about somebody who's super organized, a people pleaser who's really going to take care of something, is going to step in, is going to get something done because they don't want people to be upset. I mean, I remember I was involved in an organization where we did some great volunteer work and I was in that organization for five years. The people pleasers were really helpful to have around. And so were the perfectionists. And so were the ones who were very controlling about details. But they weren't very helpful in a more relational context. So if you think about where does it go wrong with people-pleasing, where does it become a problem? There's places where it really becomes difficult. One is that you become increasingly resentful of your role as a people pleaser. You do it because maybe you had to do it in your family or it was rewarded in your family or it's even rewarded professionally. But after a while, it starts to get old. And because you have such discomfort with negative emotion, you don't ever tell anybody that you're getting sick of it. You just stuff it, stuff it, stuff it. And it shows up in a variety of ways physical symptoms. It can show up in self-medication. So being a people pleaser, it wears thin after a while. And I would say that those who are burnt out from their people pleasing and sort of stuff it, they may not have the awareness that they're resentful and having these negative energies that they're processing in diagonal ways. Right. Because the whole thing is to avoid the negative emotions. So the whole thing is to not feel the way you feel. So that's why you did it externally is because you were having difficulty with the negative emotions of the people that were around you, and then you start just doing it to yourself. So there's not a lot of awareness about it. The other way it becomes problematic is because you begin to get caught in trying to please too many people, which means that you will inevitably disappoint people. I know somebody who is a real people pleaser and the way that other people experience that people pleaser is that they don't trust her. They don't depend on her. She says that she can do everything for everybody, but if you've hung around her for a little while, you know that she's not going to be able to pull that off because she doesn't have any boundaries and the ability to tell people that she can't do something. She doesn't say no to people. And so 
what she's trying to avoid is people being angry with her or frustrated with her. It tends to just increase over time. Yeah, there's an inauthenticity at some point because that person has no boundaries right? that other people begin to sense. They're saying yes to everything, which means that they're going to disappoint somebody. So if you tell four people that you can meet them at one o'clock, three people are going to be mad at you. What a people pleaser will do when they really get stuck in it is oftentimes is that they're saying, okay, so how can I figure this out? How can I make sure that everybody is happy? How can I make sure that I've not upset anybody? And then inevitably they do. And then that's crushing to them because of course that's the exact opposite thing they wanted to have happen. So it becomes a real vicious cycle. And then you can imagine that you're trying to be a people pleaser. You're not pulling it off the way you want to pull it off. It becomes more distressful to you. If you go to therapy, your therapist might say, look, you've got this pattern of people pleasing and we need to stop it. But if you're trying to figure it out on your own, the way you try and solve the problem is to do more of the problem. Actually, when something's not working, human beings just do more of the thing that's not working. And that's what happens with people pleasing. We'll take a break and come back and you can tell us the third example. You know, sometimes people wait until something bad happens to talk to a therapist, but why wait? Therapy can help you shift your perspective, find tools to cope in difficult times, and feel grounded in your personal relationships. So getting started is the important part. Talkspace makes it easy and affordable. With Talkspace, you can sign up online and get a personalized match with a provider that's right for you, typically within 48 hours. It's incredibly convenient to have virtual sessions with your licensed therapist from the comfort of your home, your car, your office. There's no need to commute to appointments and miss time at work or line up childcare in order to attend sessions. It's mental health care made easy. That's right. And it's secure and private. They use the latest end-to-end bank-grade encryption technology to store client information, complying with the latest HIPAA regulations. Remember, Talkspace is affordable and it's in-network with most major insurers. As a listener of this podcast, you'll get $80 off your first month with Talkspace when you go to Talkspace.com slash Fluster. To match with your licensed therapist today, go to Talkspace.com slash Fluster to get $80 off your first month. That's Talkspace.com slash Fluster. I really have to pay attention to hydrating properly. I work out a lot. I talk all the time, as you know. I am pretty active and I don't drink enough water. So I'm constantly thinking about how it is that I am going to hydrate in the best way possible. And I'll tell you, if my water has a little bit of flavor, it's so much easier for me. And if I can get those electrolytes, if I can get more bang for my buck, it's just so much better. I have been using liquid IV. I put it into a huge glass. I put it into the refrigerator. It's cold. It's very tasty. I've been putting it in my water bottle when I go to the gym. The packaging is so convenient. I actually look forward to drinking it, which is not something that comes naturally to me. I love the lemon-lime flavor. They've got a sugar-free option that is really great. So I think that if you're somebody like me that has a difficult time getting in the amount of hydration that you need for your body, Liquid IV is a great option. One stick, 16 ounces of water, it hydrates better than water alone. It's got three times the electrolytes 
of the leading sports drink, and it doesn't have all that sugar. It doesn't have artificial sweeteners, eight vitamins and nutrients just for your everyday wellness. It's non-GMO and free from gluten, dairy, and soy. However you hydrate, grab your liquid IV, hydration multiplier, sugar-free in bulk nationwide at Costco, or get 20% off your first order when you go to liquidiv.com and use code FLUSTER at checkout. That's 20% off your first order when you shop Better Hydration today using promo code FLUSTER at liquidiv.com. Okay, we're back. All right, so the third example, of course, has to do with your kids. (laughs) What happens if you're modeling this kind of behavior to your kids. And the problem is, is that they see you doing this people-pleasing. So they see you not setting boundaries. They see you not saying no. So they may take that on as the way that they deal with relationships. So that's one way that it becomes a problem. And then the other way it becomes a problem is that then their expectations of you is that you are going to meet all their needs. And so they don't develop the ability to figure things out for themselves. So here comes that anxiety problem again with a lack of autonomy, a lack of independent problem solving. If you are a people pleaser and your child forgets something at school or forgets to bring something to school, it is really, really difficult for you to tolerate their distress. You want to make sure that they're happy. So you jump into action to make sure that you take care of the problem and there lies the problem of not developing problem solvers. I was actually just thinking about a couple of real life examples, but now what I'm hearing and what I think is possibly true is that when we're talking about people pleasing within the context of being a parent, people who would never be called people pleasers at their office or by their peers may still have this pattern at home as a parent, I would be willing to bet. I actually had a friend once tell me that when she got home from work and her kids were little and it was at the time where boundary setting was important, And I asked her if she had talked through with her son about something. She's like, I have worked a long day and I want to have a pleasant time with my family at night. I don't want to get into it about applying boundaries to him. And I understood that. And obviously, I wasn't in that family and I'm not sure 100% of what her meaning was. But you could say that She could have meant that she didn't want to say no and she didn't want to do this and she didn't want to do that because she just wanted happy family time between getting home from work and bedtime. She was avoiding conflict. Correct. Well, and so that's one of the things that happens is that when you're a people pleaser, however it developed for you, and it develops in in several different ways, but there's some commonality. Like I said, it's that you don't want to deal with other people's negative emotion. You don't want to let people down. One of the problems is that you get very all or nothing about it. People who tend to be people pleasers think that the other option they have is to be like a self-centered witch, right? So they think, okay, so either I'm a people pleaser or 
I'm selfish. This is one of the ways also that it develops is that if you were raised by somebody who was very narcissistic, if you were raised by somebody who was very good at taking care of themselves and not good at taking care of other people, then you model yourself as a people pleaser because the only other option you've seen is that you're going to be self-centered. You're going to be focused on yourself and not take care of other people because that was your experience growing up. So it's really important if you are trying to break this pattern, and I say this a lot, there's a really big sweet spot in your own setting of boundaries. So you don't have to give up people-pleasing and then become this narcissistic, self-centered person. You have to work gradually and look for places to set boundaries or look for places to say no when you want to say no, and just stick your toe in it a little bit and maybe disappoint somebody and allow yourself to get through it. And that includes your kids. It's okay to disappoint your kids, but it doesn't mean that you're going to turn into this real selfish. I mean, I've worked with a lot of people pleasers over the years, and I will say to them, look, if you stop people pleasing, you're not going to turn into a selfish, narcissistic person. In fact, that would be impossible for me to do as a therapist is to turn you, a very considerate, empathic, kind person, into that type of personality. It's just not going to happen. So we're really just trying to modify it in a way to avoid your own resentment, exhaustion, and the inevitable resentment of other people that you disappoint because you've set it up that way. Do you think that people-pleasing in the context of our personal relationships, in addition to just disappointment, it also applies when you don't really show up with emotional authenticity because you want to be pleasant, you want to be perceived as pleasant, and you want to avoid the unpleasant as another profile. Let's talk about Ted Lasso. Yeah. So that's a very good example of how did someone have to move out of their people pleasing? And that's why we don't want to spoil the last episode, but his conversation with his mother was really well done at saying, I need to talk to you about how this people-pleasing pattern showed up and what I need to do about it. It was the penultimate episode and it was like whole new level. It was genius. I think sometimes we think about people-pleasing as a female trait, as a feminine trait, that we are the people who are going to try and make sure that the family runs smoothly and we're going to avoid conflict and all that kind of stuff. But I have certainly worked with plenty of men, particularly men that have come from abusive or alcoholic backgrounds, that that is absolutely a part of the way that they relate to other people. And again, the problem with it is, is that like you were saying, you can't show up authentically because you don't let people know what you're truly thinking or feeling. You're trying to figure out what they want rather than having a discussion about your own thoughts or your own opinions. I work in hospitality and travel. So a huge percentage of my colleagues are working at luxury hotels. And the people who work in luxury hospitality are phenomenal human beings with phenomenally large people-pleasing issues of how do you show up and provide a level of service in all of your conversations with someone else while supplanting your own needs, right? Yeah. And then where does that leave you? Where do you go from there? If you make a career of that, what is the way that you rebalance yourself at the end of your shift? Or do you just burn out? And I'm sure 
it's a conversation that many people started thinking about if they watched the White Lotus series on HBO. I was just thinking that. Yeah. And think of all the professions where that's required, like any kind of service profession. If you are a nurse, if you are a teacher, if you are a real estate agent, you're always trying to figure out how you can say and do the thing that will please your customer. And it's really exhausting. Anybody who is in these professions can probably relate to it. That's There's the front of the store persona, and then there's the back of the store persona. Ideally, right? Yeah. I mean, you've got to be honest about it with somebody. Again, this all or nothing thing, we don't want to think that if you move out of the people-pleasing pattern, that you're going to lose your empathy. It's just being able to make sure that you don't do it all the time in all your relationships. And you may even know that because I'm in this job and where I'm providing service to whoever it is I'm providing service, that I have to bring that persona to my job, but I don't have to do it everywhere. Right. It's almost like a self check-in, especially if you have a job that requires that skill, is that if you think of your most important personal relationships... You can ask yourself, do you leave room for the discussion of anger and disappointment and sadness and resentment? And are those things talkable? And also just recognizing that if you're in one of those professions where you have to do that all the time, it's even more important that you say no when you're not in that profession so that you can recover, that you can have some time to yourself, that you can spend time with people that you enjoy rather than feeling like you have to say yes to every invitation, you have to say yes to every request that you get. It's important that you recognize that if your job requires that of you, that it's even more important that you recognize this pattern in your personal life for sure. There was a quote I sent a friend recently that said, Self-care isn't about eating chocolate cake or taking a bubble bath. It's creating a life that you don't need a break from. Mm. So and we both talked about that and talked about how do we create the life that we don't need a break from? And I would say that a lot of people pleasers do burn a candle at both ends there and get pretty worn out, but may not have the connection that that is what's wearing them out. I think if you work in a profession like luxury hospitality, like a lot of my colleagues that I get to work with, they are dealing with this as a team usually. So it's talked about. But like, I'm just thinking of a parent who like, who's she going to talk about or who's he going to (laughs) talk about that with necessarily where that self-awareness may be harder to have because you don't have someone that you're talking about all of these individual moments with. And the other thing too, I think, is that people pleaser as a parent, the person you were talking to that said, I just don't want to have conflict. I just don't want to be mean to my kids. I just don't want to damage them. There's a lot of fear around people pleasing that your negative emotions or that the negative emotions of somebody else are really damaging. And you don't give yourself the opportunity to practice working through that. You know, my colleague, Terry Real, and I've talked about the book that he wrote, Us, but he's a relation expert and he's just amazing. He talks about relationships being movement between tension and repair, tension and repair. And the tension comes oftentimes when somebody expresses authentically what they're feeling and sets a boundary or says no, right? It's very easy, I think, to create a tension-free relationship if you never say no, If you never let somebody know what you're thinking or feeling, it becomes very superficial, but you're avoiding the conflict. 
I saw that model for me. We've talked about this. So because my mom has passed and she can't listen to the podcast, she was absolutely a people pleaser in the role of a spouse or a girlfriend. And she always wanted to be perceived as delightful to the man in her life. And there was one circumstance as I got older because she had remarried. I was older in life and observing with more adult eyes, shall we say. But my mom hated cats. She didn't like cats. Sorry to say this. I know you love cats. I know, but that's okay. I can make room for people who don't like cats. Right. So she married a lovely guy who had cats. I'm actually very allergic to cats. So it meant that I could no longer stay at her house when I came to visit or bring her granddaughter when we came to visit. And that really devastated my mom. But she was like, of course, of course, like, yeah, you can bring your cats. And she didn't have the ability to say, I don't want your cats because family should come first. I want my daughter to be able to come and stay with us whenever she wants to. And that's like a big part of our connection. So she didn't say no to the cats. She was really not very nice to the cats. She took her anger and resentment out. Yeah, of course. <laughs> on the cats. And I just remember watching this really extreme example where she was like <laughs> yelling at the cat. She and I were the only people home and the cat was with us and she was just, you know, you could just hear in her voice. She was ready to scream. At the, she did scream at this cat. But then, of course, she started talking to everybody else back in her very sweet voice. But that was like a, hmm, okay, that didn't go so well. Right, because she wasn't going to scream at her husband. No. Right? She didn't care if the cat thought that she was delightful. She needed her husband to think that she was delightful. So then that becomes sort of what we're thinking about in terms of modeling when we think about what skills we're trying to teach our kids. You know, I said earlier, people pleaser either teaches the child that they can't express their valid emotions or it teaches the child that they are the center of the universe and that my mom should always be delightful toward me, right? That's what I deserve and that's what I expect from my mom and from other people too. And one of the things, and I've talked about this before, but I just think it's so important to emphasize, we really want to give our kids practice saying no. We want to show them and give them opportunities to set boundaries, to say no within the family in a respectful way, because the research shows that then they are better at doing that when they're confronted with peer pressure. So if you are a people pleaser and you are modeling for your children that you don't say no, that you agree to everything, that you make sure that you're always delightful, that everybody gets what they want, then you are modeling for your kids or not modeling for your kids, I should say, how to set boundaries, how to say no, how to be clear with what your needs are. It's really important for you to show your kids that so that they can handle those situations in their own life. Definitely. Can I share a funny story? Okay. So because I had seen my mom yell and scream at cats, when I was at this point already an adult who'd had therapy, that was more of a, a wonderful illustration to sort of observe patterns. So when my husband, who's your brother, came to visit my family back in the South for the first time, and as we're coming in from the airport, we bake it just inside the house. Like we're not even in the main like living room yet. We're like in the laundry room off the garage, you know, like going into the house. And my very 
adorable grandmother comes up and she was like, oh, welcome. Are you hungry? No, no, no. We're okay. Well, would you like a piece of fruit? And your brother, my husband was like, yeah, I'll take a piece of fruit. And so my grandmother looks at me and is like, well, get him a piece of fruit. (laughs) I'm still carrying my luggage. And so there's a basket of fruit that they kept in this pantry as we're passing it. And I grab an orange and I hand it to him like a joke, like, here you go. Yeah. And my grandmother looks at me and goes, aren't you going to peel it for him? (gasps) Oh, my gosh. And I'm like, nope. (laughs) (laughs) So I think that a lot of that pattern, I mean, I don't show up in my relationship the way my mom did. I disrupted that. It's not that I wouldn't wholeheartedly peel him an orange in different contexts. Right. But that's also now we're kind of getting meta again, because I came from a family where there was sort of an expectation of what a good girl and a good wife was like a good girlfriend and how supplanting your own needs for somebody else's was what you were expected to do. Yeah. And that it's certainly not as prevalent now, but that was a message that a lot of girls got that the way that you were supposed to carry yourself in the world, the way that you were supposed to show up to the man in your life when your husband came home from work is that you were supposed to be ready to please. Right. And I think that that, of course, I don't think that we're teaching our daughters that now consciously, but we just have to pay attention to that message of, I am going to be ready to please. And I think it shows up in so many different ways that are powerful and that are generational. Let's take a break and we'll talk about that a bit more. Well, hey there, busy mama. Are you looking for ways to make your life easier, your home less chaotic, and at the same time, add more joy to your life? My name is Deanna Yates, and I'm the host of Wanna Be Clutter Free, a podcast all about letting go of the stuff we don't need in our lives so that we can focus on what truly matters. Don't worry, I'm not going to tell you to throw it all away or make you feel guilty about keeping something you love, no matter how many other people don't quite understand it but I will give you practical and more importantly, actionable advice so that you can make progress right away. And you won't just hear it from me. There are amazing guests too. It's like having your bestie in your pocket, telling you it's okay to let go of the things that are not serving you and your family in a totally non-judgmental way. So join me over on the podcast where we can work on progress over perfection for those of us that want to be clutter-free. Hi there, I'm Andrea Owen, self-help author with 19 translations of my books, global keynote speaker, and life coach. My podcast, Make Some Noise, has been serving up self-help in a simple-to-digest way for the last decade. The topics brought in each episode are practical and easy to implement around topics such as working through fears that keep you stuck, different modalities of therapy, managing your negative self-talk, and more. We bring you guest experts, solo episodes, and I even coach listeners on the air around relatable struggles. I also do my best to weave my sense of humor into some heavy topics because let's face it, life can be pretty hard and it's so much better when we can have some fun while walking through our challenges. Whether you're seasoned in personal development or just starting out, Make Some Noise podcast will help you become the best version of yourself, the person you're proud of when you look in the mirror and show up in your life. Simply search Make Some Noise with Andrea Owen wherever you listen to your podcasts. Thank you. 
Okay, so now back to the show. So, Linus, we're thinking about these generational cycles. How do we not raise a people pleaser? Okay. First of all, if you are recognizing that this is your generational cycle and you had a grandmother that said to you, aren't you going to peel his orange? (laughs) You don't have to be confrontational with those people, right? Don't think that you have to go back now and sort of right that wrong. It's okay that that's the way that they dealt with things. Also, just parenthetically, is you being raised in the South, that bless your heart thing, isn't that sort of like the, I'm going to be a people pleaser, but also here comes my resentment out my eyeballs? So I did not come from a family who used that expression, though I was around many people who did. Yeah. And bless your heart is simply code for you pathetic idiot. Oh, <laughs> okay. All right. Okay. Good to know. So what do you want to do if you're aware of these patterns and if you don't want to toss them down to your kids, if you don't want to model them for your kids, if you don't want to do the handoff. The first thing you want to do is you want to very consistently teach kids when to say yes and when to say no about little things. So say you have a child that got invited to a birthday, to three birthday parties, right? So a people pleaser mom might say, well, we can make that happen. We can make that happen. I remember one weekend when I was younger, obviously, my husband's graduation from business school one of my reunions from high school and my friend's wedding were all on the same weekend. And I had to figure out what I was going to go to and what I was not going to go to. Guess what I did? I figured out how to go to all three in a very unsatisfying, very disappointing and exhausting way. Okay. So this episode was for you. Yes, it was. I'm not immune to this pattern in particular. Yeah, right. No, it's going to show up with everyone in different ways. In some people, it shows up all the time. So with your kids, starting from an early age, you want to just talk through how you're saying no or how you figure out what to say yes to and what to say no to, because there's that differentiation skill again. So if you get invited to three birthday parties and you don't want to go to three birthday parties and you don't want your kid to go to three birthday parties, walk them through it and just very concretely say, it's so hard when we wish we could do all these things. You know, if they say, well, well, if I can't go to so-and-so's birthday party, he's going to be so mad at me. You can say, you know what? He might be disappointed because he wants you there, but it's impossible for us to do everything. So let's figure out how we're going to do this. And I bet the hard part about this is that we're going to enjoy what we do. And we also might disappoint people when we say no. And you give them that language and you model that language. You know, my friend, who I talk about all the time, she says, oh, I'm sorry, that doesn't work for me, right? That's such a good line that I stole from her because she was so, she's much better at that. But being able to talk kids through that and help them see that it's okay if somebody is disappointed. Okay. So I also would say that as a parent in today's culture, there are so many things asked of parents in a school community, for example. I don't think it's very common for children to be presented with that, like, you're going to disappoint someone, so let's tolerate. Like, that might not be very common, but it's certainly very common for a parent to say, I was asked to volunteer or to do this, and that didn't work for me, so I said no. That's a very healthy, easy opportunity to model that. But I want to go meta again, because what this sounds like to me is what we have talked about in so many different shows. The goal is to have conversations about 
the full range of emotions in a family and to make room for those negative emotions and for the parents to model making room for talking about their negative emotions too. Yeah. Have you seen, I mean, there are some TikTok videos or Instagram videos of kids who are eating something they don't like and completely denying that they don't like it to the point where they're gagging. And they're trying to put on this happy face and say, oh no, it's really delicious, mommy. And right. And everybody thinks it's so funny. I find those videos horrendous. To me, it's not giving a child the opportunity to say, that doesn't work for me. And not giving room, like you say, for those emotions of, well, that hurt my feelings or I don't want to do that. And here's why. And again, we're not going all or nothing. I'm not saying that you're going to have your kids walk around being little no machines, because if you've got a three-year-old, you've got a little no machine, but that's what they're practicing. Letting kids express when they're upset, when they're disappointed, when they're angry, when they feel like they haven't been heard. All of that is really important with the balance, of course, because we've talked about this skill all the time is that one of the biggest skills we want kids to have, this is what we talked about in the getting the summer job episode, is that sometimes you have to do things that you don't feel like. And how do you help kids differentiate? So I'm going to out myself here, but have you ever been invited to a bridal shower or a baby shower on a Sunday afternoon in May, and you're really not all that excited about going, but you go anyway because it's a nice thing to do, right? That's what we do. But there are other things, other opportunities to show our kids how we say no or how we set boundaries or how we don't overschedule ourselves and how we don't do things to make sure that we're delightful. That's what we want to show our kids. Well, as parents, when we have little kids who are expressing their autonomy by saying no and giving us a boundary back in that developmental stage, particularly when kids start saying no, no. No, that toddler area. It's a very fertile time in parenting to not do everything you can in your power to make that child supplant their desire to say no so that they're by six or seven eating something they think is disgusting, but pretending to be charmed by it. That's that denial of self and denial of autonomy. It's all about this sweet spot because we did an episode recently about when children have awkward behaviors that are probably making them more awkward to be around, and do we step in and kind of guide them with manners and more social emotional savviness? Yeah. Right. This is like that dark side of showing up as a sponge of being whatever other people need. Right. And it's about creating that flexibility so that your child has the skill. We don't want a child to develop the skill of a people pleaser. We also don't want them to develop the skill of saying no all the time and not paying attention to other people's needs. So it's that flexibility. It's what Michael Yapko taught me, those discrimination strategies of when do we say yes because it's the right thing to do and it's the necessary thing to do, and even though maybe we don't feel like it, and when do we get caught up in saying yes all the time? And when do we help kids say no when they can say no, but also recognize that if I say you have to go to bed at this certain time, that it is not your decision of yes or no. We can give kids some choices. So it's all of that flexibility. Whenever we're talking about a pattern in this podcast, I think we're generally talking about a pattern that's gone too far in one direction. 
It's sort of like the last episode we talked about asking questions. And I made sure to say, look, kids ask a lot of questions and it's important for us to have conversations with them and give them information. And if you've got a little toddler, right, they're like, why, 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 why? It's not that we're saying your child shouldn't ask questions. It's when does the pattern become problematic? Right. Well, you always say we're not walking a tightrope. We're walking the Brooklyn Bridge. There's this wide, sweet spot. So we're sort of talking about the times when those patterns fall off the bridge and are in the water. And we expect all of these patterns to show up in different moments, but if they become like an ongoing presence. Right. And that's when people end up in therapy is when the pattern has become unmanageable, right? So whatever the pattern is, that's what I'm always looking for. What's the pattern that got you to this place? And it can be all sorts of different things, but you've ended up in my office because there's a pattern that has now become unmanageable and you don't know what to do about it. And so we try and figure out how to interrupt it. And it happens to all of us. We all have these patterns. It's constant adjustment in figuring out. I mean, I can think of so many episodes we've done. We talked about yelling way back when. When is it okay to yell at your kid? And my response was in very specific circumstances when they're about to touch the stove, right? It's being able to recognize when does a pattern take over? Like you keep bringing up in such a good way, Robin. When does it get in the way of you being able to tolerate feelings, express your feelings, have a sense of self? When does it supplant who you are? That's what we're talking about. When does it create a family culture of toxic positivity? Yes, that's right. We talked about that because I actually came from that. That's my family culture. And we did talk about this in one of our first podcasts on the first season, because I remember saying... For people who don't make podcasts, you can't just like pull in a song that you want to. But if I could have chosen any song for that episode, it would have been Accentuate the Positive with Bing Crosby and the Andrews Sisters, because (laughs) that is like my family's theme song of how do you do that? But to say like as a parent now, growing up with that family dynamic and those expectations of being toxically positive, where there was no room to be sad or complain or be disappointed. I make it an effort like I'm driving one of my kids home from school. How was your day? I tell them, I had the most frustrating thing happen today. Or man, I got really angry today. That's mixed in with all the other great things. Right. Because we want it to be a cornucopia of emotions. It's a whole box of crayons. It's a whole box of crayons. It's a whole box of chocolates. It's all the different things that we feel during the day. Yeah. That's one of the things when people say to me at the dinner table, we like to go around and say, what happy thing happened to you today? Or what was the best thing that happened to you today? You know, the question I like to ask, what was the unexpected thing that happened to you today and how did you deal with it? But sometimes families do that thing, what was the rose and what was the thorn? Like, that's a great way of giving your kids the experience of emotional literacy and emotional flexibility. Being a people pleaser just means that you are not allowing yourself to show other people what's truly going on with you a lot of the time. And you're doing it. I get it. You do it because it gets rewarded. I bet if you had peeled my brother's orange for him, he would have just loved you all the more, Robin. (laughs) He just would have been like, you know what, this girl. I got to marry this. Bless her heart. (laughs) I got to marry this one. I got to marry this orange peeler. I'd like to think that he married me after that trip because I didn't peel his orange. (laughs) 
but you know what? I'm not sure. <laughs> I hope you're speaking literally and not metaphorically because my brain is going to strange places. <laughs> If this episode was helpful to you, you can join our Facebook community and we'd love it if you left a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Thanks for joining us on this episode of Fluster Clucks. Bye, Robin. Bye, Lynn. No one told us the truth about parenthood. Why? This is the podcast everyone needed before they had kids because now that those little ones are here, whew, there is a lot to unpack. I'm Rachel Shepardota, and I am your host for the podcast, No One Told Us, where we tell the truth about parenting and let you in on all the stuff you really should have known about before having kids. I am the founder of Hey Sleepy Baby, but this podcast is so much more than sleep. We'll be diving into all the topics that you really care about and need to know while you do your best job raising those adorable, tidy humans. Our goal is to just make you feel less alone and less overwhelmed. There are so many things that no one tells us before becoming a parent, and I think that we should really pull back the curtain on becoming a first-time or second-time mom or dad to share the good, the bad, and the ugly. We'll have a little education, a little fun, and a whole lot of heart that goes into each and every episode. So join me and our amazing guests each week to hear us talk about what no one told us.